I thought this morning that we would take a, a lighter view of Christmas. There's many theological controversies that I could have spoken about this morning, but I won't. Well, not directly anyway. So this morning we're going to have, to start with, a Christmas quiz. So for those people who think they know all about Christmas and the Christmas story, here is a chance to test uh, your abilities. So uh, we're going to have the, the host team hand, it out, hand out a pen and paper if you need it. Uh, just to note down their answers, there are 20 questions. Is there a winner? And it's going to be self-marking. So based, <laughs> based on your, um, your level of integrity, I thought it would be unfair to have winners and losers. Right? But anyway... Uh, now, I will say uh, just a bit of a warning here. The slides are on autoplay, okay? So once we hit go, don't start yelling at me, slow down, slow down, I can't read that fast, okay? We're not going to take the whole morning doing this. Each question will be on the screen for 15 seconds, okay? All right. The other, <laughs> if you can Google in 15 seconds, uh, yeah, that's right. Oh, the other, the other caveat I will make here is the answers are supposed to be biblical and not from church tradition. If you do not know the difference between biblical and church tradition, then you're sorry you're at a disadvantage already. Um, I'm not going to explain that just at the moment. But So we're looking for biblical answers, uh, not church tradition answers, unless specifically stated. Okay, good. Is everyone ready? Just lighthearted. That's right. This is this is fun. Remember, this people are starting to sweat. People are starting to sweat already. Okay. Okay. We're ready. On what day was Jesus born? I'll give you extra credit if you put in the year. Fifteen seconds goes pretty fast. Uh, what was the name of the angel that appeared to the shepherds before the rest of the angels turned up? What was the name of the angel that appeared to the shepherds before the rest of the angels turned up? What were the shepherds watching in their fields? Well, you know the story, the shepherds were washing their socks by night. Oh, no, no, that's, that's a different song. Okay. What were the names of Jesus' two earthly grandfathers? So... Joseph's father, Mary's father, <laughs> Granddad and Poppy, is that the one it is? Yeah, okay. Uh, what was Mary's brother-in-law's name? Mary's brother-in-law's name? Uncle, yeah, right. In what town was Jesus born? That's an easy question. <laughs> what tribe of Israel does Jesus belong to? Uh, remember, there's only uh, 13 to pick from. Oh, 11 tribes and two half tribes. Uh, what was the name of the king of Judea when Jesus was born? Who ordered the census to be taken? 
almost halfway. <laughs> uh, how many wise men visited Jesus? What is a manager? Oh, sorry, manger. What is a manger? It's a spelling mistake there. Uh, what were the gifts that Jesus received? Spelling's important here. <laughs> Uh, what is Jesus' last name? <laughs> How many brothers did Mary have? True, true. Well, no, because Joseph could have brothers. Uh, <laughs> how many brothers did Jesus have? Fifteen down, only five to go. How are you feeling? Feeling confident, strong to the finish. Uh, what was the first place Jesus visited outside of the town where he was born? Was the service station to fill up the donkey? Uh, how much older was John the Baptist to Jesus? It's, it's, these are easy questions. Uh, the next one's a bit tricky. What do John the Baptist and Kermit the Frog have in common? It's, so many things, so many things. Uh, in church tradition, the wise men have names. What are they? <laughs> and the last question. What were the names of the prophet and prophetess who recognized the baby Jesus? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, okay. Mary and Joseph, yeah, no, I'll give you a clue, it's not Mary and Joseph. Okay, how are we feeling? Was that, was that the typical Christmas quiz? Yes, these are all part, you know, story, uh, things from the Bible, things that we should look at. Uh, we're now going to run through the answers. Now, typically in these situations we would say pass your notes to the person next to you and they can give you a score, but since uh, some of that writing, since it was a bit quick, might be illegible, we'll let you mark your own. And we're relying on your honesty. Remember, integrity and honesty, they're, they're Christian, uh, <laughs> the uh, things that we should be as Christians, we should be uh, desiring to know the truth and also to speak the truth. So um, if you're lying, remember the Holy Spirit is watching. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. So uh, what's the first, the first question? Was Eugene. There we go. On what day was Jesus born? The correct answer is we don't know. All right. He was born on his birthday, yes, I'm not going to give you marks for that. 
so, so the dates here range uh, somewhere between 6 BC and 1 AD. December 25th is not Jesus' birthday. You think it was a Tuesday. Yeah, okay, good. Not good scriptural evidence for that, but it's uh, one in seven chance, right? Uh, now, what's that? Half points. <laughs> no points for birthday, no. Um, I've, I'm actually uh, a fan of the first of Tishri as Jesus' birthday. Okay, you're all good with that. So somewhere in the autumn of 2 B.C., um, the first of history is actually an autumn month. It's the Feast of Trumpets, uh, and it sort of seems to line up. Okay, uh, the, the second question. What was the name of the angel? We don't know that either. See, Gabriel turned up to Mary to explain, and church tradition says it was Gabriel who turned up to talk to the shepherds, and while there's reasonable uh, view on that, we actually don't know... Uh, who were delivered the message to the shepherds. Uh, okay, uh, here's an interesting thought, though. In Luke chapter 2, it says the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds. In the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord represented Jesus. So did Jesus announce his own birth to the shepherds? And could he have been in two places at the same time? Okay, just a, just a thought to ponder. Okay, uh, what were the shepherds watching? They're flocks. Who says sheep? Uh, okay, so in the Greek, the Greek word for flocks could actually mean sheep or goats. So we don't know whether they were sheep or goats. They could have been, <laughs> but there were flocks was what they were watching. <laughs> we got a half point for that. <laughs> All right, see, see how we have this tradition and we have what the Bible actually says. All right, number four. Number four, Heli and Jacob. Yes, of course. Right, yes, okay. Uh, we have uh, Mary's father is Heli, Jacob, uh, Joseph's father is Jacob. Um, that's the commonly accepted view. Uh, number five, so Mary's brother-in-law's name could have been Zacharias, Interestingly enough, the relationship between Mary and Elizabeth is uncertain. The view, the, the actual Greek word there says blood relative. So it could have been they were sisters, or it could have been they were cousins. Uh, if they were sisters, obviously, then Jesus and John the Baptist were cousins. Uh, so if they were sisters, of course, Zacharias would then be Mary's brother-in-law. Okay, and the next one's real, relatively easy. Where was Jesus born? Hopefully you got this one right. He was born in Bethlehem. Why was he born in Bethlehem? Because the book of Ruth we have set in Bethlehem. That was Boaz was David's great-great-grandfather. Jesus descended from uh, David. Uh, what tribe does Jesus belong to? He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And we find that in Revelation 5. Okay, another one right. Okay, great. Uh, who was the king? Herod. It was King Herod, the king of Judea, as opposed to the king, because remember, the king of Judea reported to the emperor of Rome, right, Caesar, uh, which is the answer to the next question. Who ordered the, uh, the census? Caesar Augustus. Uh, can anyone remember who was the governor in Syria at the time? Doesn't come to Quirinius was the governor in Syria at the time, Luke chapter 2 tells us. Uh, some people get those two people confused. That's okay. Uh, number 10. How many wise men? 
We don't, oh, you're starting to catch on. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we do know there were three gifts, but not necessarily three wise men. Uh, what is a manger? A feeding trough uh, for animals. Uh, some, some of you may have feeding trough for kids, but this is a feeding trough for animals, okay? All right. Uh, <laughs> what were the three gifts? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, no, just one point. Uh, here, gold speaks of Jesus' kingship, and frankincense speaks of his priesthood. Myrrh speaks of his death. Right? Myrrh was the embalming uh, uh, herb. And interestingly, when you go to Revelation, you find that gold and frankincense are mentioned, but not myrrh. There you go. So his kingship and priesthood uh, has yet to come on earth, uh, and yet his death has already, has already happened. All right, uh, number 13, what's Jesus' last name? Uh, Ashley said Christ, that's, that's a big cross for Jesus Christ. Um, of course, in, in the biblical times, he would, have called, he would have been called Yeshua ben Yosef, right? Yeshua, son of Yosef. Of course, in the English, we would say Josephson. If you were Scottish, you'd say Jesus Mac Joseph, which doesn't really just, you know... <laughs> doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. You know, Jesus with its Scottish accent, I'm not really seeing it. Okay, number 14. How many brothers did Mary have? None. Why none? Well, Jesus had to get his inheritance through Mary as well as Joseph. And if you want to figure out how Mary could have an inheritance as a woman, then you have to read Numbers 27 and 28 and go and look at the daughters of Zelophehad which meant that she couldn't have had any brothers. There you go. Uh, number 15, how many brothers did Jesus have? None. Of course, he had to have half-brothers because... <laughs> oh, so, oh, 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 yeah. Oh, so, so, all right, okay. Did I, did I mention this? Okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> we're all sons and daughters of God. Uh, Jesus has many brothers. He's the firstborn among many. Yes, okay, I get that. But he had two half-brothers mentioned. Of course, we have James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. No, he didn't have any brothers. The answer is none. And uh, Jude. Uh, I better move on. Someone's going to throw something. Uh, okay, number 16. Where did Jesus go first? He went to Jerusalem uh, on the eighth day after the period of purification Read that in Luke 2. Okay, uh, number 17, how much older was John the Baptist? Six months. Six months. Okay, now it says, there's, there's, there's a view here that says it could be five or six months. I go for the six-month view because it said that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months, which meant she would have stayed until John the Baptist was born. And why do I think that? Is because women go all mushy over that sort of thing. So he just would have had a hug around. That makes sense, right? Yeah. yeah if, it, if it had been Joseph, he says, we're out of here. No, we can leave it to it. All right. <laughs> okay, number 18. John the Baptist and Kermit the Frog both have the same middle name. The. Did you see that? Now, okay. <laughs> That's a dad joke. Had to throw that in there. Just trying to keep it light. However, if you'd put they both eat locusts, I would have accepted that answer as well. Okay? <laughs> hey? I'm not sure Kermit the Frog eats locusts, but anyway. That's, uh, 
They both like water. Mm, that's an interesting one. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> that's an interesting, that's thinking outside the box. I'll give you a point for that. All right. Uh, what were the names of the three wise men? Balthazar, Melchior, and Gaspar. Now, this is according to church tradition, but they didn't get names until the Dark Ages, about 1000 AD. Uh, you know, you tell a story, little Johnny's talking to his mum and she's telling him about the three wise men and he says, what were their names? And she says, I don't know, I'll ask the priest. And so she asked the priest and the priest says, I don't know, I'll have to ask the bishop. And so he asked the bishop and he says, I don't know, you'll have to ask the archbishop. And so he does and then the cardinal. And then of course they have to get a decree from the Pope to say their names are this. And of course the Pope can't say, I don't know, because that wouldn't be ethical. Uh, he's the Pope, right? <laughs> Okay, so they got names, <laughs> Balthazar, Melchior, and Gaspar. Only three of them named because we don't know how many there are. Uh, and the last question there was, who were the prophet and prophetess? Simon and Anna. We see that in Luke 2, 25 and 36. So how did you go? Did anybody get 20 out of 20? All right, so luckily, uh, whether you got 20 out of 20 or 1 out of 20 doesn't matter because St. Peter... Uh, according to church tradition, is standing at the gate waiting to test us to get into heaven, and that's not biblical either. So there is no test to get into heaven, but sometimes there is this, this uh, thing about Christmas and about what's, what's true, what's not true, what's myth, what's legend, uh, what's pagan tradition. Uh, we haven't even touched on the ideas of Christmas trees and where they come from, or Yule logs, or mistletoe, or Santa Claus, or St. Nicholas, uh, or a host of other things at Christmas time that we accept as part of the Christmas story. Uh, and yet when we go back to Scripture, we don't find those things there. And for many people, that almost means that they put Christmas into this realm of myth. Christmas is just a nice story, uh, and yet for us, we know uh, that it is a lot more than that. Richard brought out at the prayer meeting this morning, Isaiah 9, 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The verse reminds us that Jesus was a gift to us. To us a child is born, but to us a son is given. There's this gift that we have at Christmas time that, that the Father gave to us to, as a way out of that endless cycle of, of uh, repentance, sacrifice, and forgiveness. That thing that the Jews had to do year on year on year uh, because it was the blood of bulls and, and lambs uh, that was their sacrifice. And that could never make up for the things that they had done wrong. That couldn't make up for the sin in their life. It couldn't cover off that completely. Now, when Isaiah wrote this verse, it was 700 years before Christ was born. And yet he wrote it in the past tense. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And then he talks about this government shall be on his uh, shoulders, this future tense. For us, for Isaiah, it was all future, many hundreds of years in the future. And yet for us, we live in the tension between the first part of that, because we have the child, we have the son given to us, but we don't yet have the government on his shoulders. Uh, there may be some people who say that, that uh, our government is godly, um, are very few. But there may be some, but we know that Jesus is not here ruling 
in his government yet. Yes, he rules in the church, he rules in our hearts, and yet there's going to come a time when the government shall be on his shoulders. A time when all of the things and the, and the, the woes of the world that we see will be put aside. But, but for us, we live in that tension. The Son is given. He is there. We read uh, the scripture this morning was from Isaiah 11. And the reason for reading that scripture is sometimes when we think of Christmas, we think about this baby, we think about this poor, helpless little thing. Uh, you know, all babies do is eat, sleep, and the third thing, uh, which I can't mention from here. Uh, but <laughs> all mothers know what that is. Okay, uh, but, but we have this sort of this idea of this, this helpless babe, which he was. He, he put himself in human form. He, he came as a, as a baby. He could have come in the same way that Adam did. He could have turned up as a man. And he chose to, to come as a child, chose to come as helpless. But he's not helpless now. Sometimes when we look around this planet and we see things are going and certainly going in the wrong direction as far as what we would think from a Christian perspective, it seems like the devil is winning seven goals to one. Uh, and it's late in the game. And yet, Jesus is not that baby. Jesus is ready to ride in uh, and score the winning goal uh, for his team. We stand in that middle of the, in that detention between the, the son who's been given and the, and the government that is to come. Now, in this verse, Isaiah also makes it very clear that in the person of Jesus Christ, we have the fullness of the Godhead, okay? It's not this idea that Jesus is somehow a part of or just, a, a, you know, he's put himself in human form and now he's, he's separated himself from the Godhead because Isaiah goes on to refer to Jesus as the counselor. And in John 14, 26, but we said, the comforter or the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I have said to you. So Jesus in the person of the Christ is part of the Godhead. He is the Holy Spirit. He is the counselor. He is the teacher. Isaiah refers to this child as the everlasting father. And if you can wrap your head around that, that's, you know, it's a pretty neat trick. Here is the child who is also the everlasting father. And you go, well, we don't want to dig into that too much. Uh, somebody once said, if you understand the Trinity, then you don't really understand the Trinity. We're reading the Psalms, blessed is... Jehovah, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And yet this child is the Prince of Peace, which speaks of his sonship to the Father. He's not only the everlasting Father, but he's also the Prince, the Son of the King. And Acts 3.14 says, You denied the Holy and Just One and desired a murderer to be given to you, and you killed the Prince of Peace, whom God has raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. For to us, a son is given. Now, the ultimate purpose of that gift is not peace on earth. One of the, one of the other misconceptions we have at Christmas time is this idea that, you know, uh, the, the angels announced peace amongst men. And people follow that view. They talk about the World War I uh, where they stopped shooting on Christmas Day and the, and the Germans and the English came out of the uh, trenches and they sang Christmas carols together, believing that the Christmas spirit was peace amongst men. And it's not, but it's not about peace amongst men. Sure, that's going to be an outworking of our relationship with Christ is that we have peace amongst men, but it was peace toward men. 
the enmity between God and man because of sin has been taken care of because a son is given. We're not here about peace on earth, even though Jesus will bring peace on earth, but it's peace with God that is really significant to us. It isn't for God to be governing the world. The government shall be on his shoulders, but he needs to be governing in our hearts first. When we put Christ first, when we say he is not just my Savior, but he is my Lord as well. And I think sometimes we've missed that point. We talk about Jesus as our Savior and and the work of the cross and what he did and, and how I can be right with God. And we forget the Lord part. Lord means ruler, the one who is over us, the one when he says do it this way, that's what we do. We don't say, well, you know, Jesus, I think that's a good idea, but. So, yes, we want to see Jesus governing in the world, but he needs to be governing in our hearts. And it wasn't for God to show how great he is, but for God to restore a relationship with us. But in all of these things, we also see this aspect of worship. The wise men came uh, from afar to bow down to a king. Now, the king was in the manger. The king was in a lowly position. The king was in a situation where you say, well, who would want to bow down to somebody who can't even understand? And yet they came to worship. The shepherds came to worship uh, on that Christmas night. They came to see, first of all, and then they recognized that this was a a message from heaven, that the angel chorus had announced that this person was worthy of worship. Jesus was born and so that he can be the firstborn among many brothers, so that Jesus is first and foremost, so that every knee will bow. In Colossians 1, we say, for all things were created in him. The things in heaven, the things on earth, the visible, the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things exist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that he may be preeminent in all things. For it pleased the Father that in him all fullness should dwell. And through him, having made peace through the blood of his cross, it pleased the Father to reconcile all things to himself through him, whether the things on earth or the things in heaven. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and without blemish and without charge in his sight. The real meaning of Christmas and indeed the the meaning of uh, creation is to praise God. The Westminster Confession, uh, the first question of the Westminster Catechism, I should say, says, what is the chief end of man? What is the main purpose? What is our ultimate goal? And the Westminster Catechism says that the main aim or main purpose of our existing is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Peter encourages us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Uh, One of the things that uh, we often miss is the sacrifice of the birth. 
The sacrifice of the... We talk about the sacrifice of the cross. When Jesus went to the cross and he gave himself up and he poured himself out for us as a drink offering, the Bible tells us, and we, we understand that sacrifice, uh, but we don't often think about the sacrifice of the birth. Uh, Edward and Abbott Abbott uh, wrote a book in 1830-something, six, uh, called Flatland. don't know if anyone's read it. Yeah, some people do, but anyway. Uh, anyway, so it's a story about a two-dimensional world. All right? and, and in this two-dimensional world, everything is flat. That's why it's called Flatland. And the reason for writing about that uh, two-dimensional world is because then you can actually see from a, two, from a three-dimensional uh, three uh, three perspective, you can see things that you wouldn't otherwise see. So if I have a line on the stage, this is the, this is the flat land and there's a line here, um, I can't do this. It's a barrier to somebody in two dimensions. Okay. Now, why, why do we see that? Well, we understand now that's a barrier because we can think in three dimensions, but we can understand what two dimensions is. But sometimes when we look at the birth of Christ, we don't understand the significance because we're looking at it from our own perspective rather than from God's perspective. Uh, there's a story, uh, well, let's just say it's an allegory, uh, of, uh, of a man called John uh, who's touring the universe with God. This is just to give you some uh, perspective on the sacrifice of Christ at the birth. So as they're touring the universe, God says to John, see that planet over there? John's like, yep. He says, let's go and have a closer look. So they zip over to the planet, and, and of course, because it's God, he can see everything at once. Uh, and he says, do you see uh, the planet down there? What, what do you notice about that? John says, well, it's, it's inhabited purely by dogs. Absolutely, he says. He says, John, you know, I love those dogs, and I want them to hear about me. John says, oh, right. He says, would you go and give them a message and tell them that I love them? John's absolutely God, anything for you. He says, you notice that, that the dogs are, are a bit nasty. And John says, yeah, I mean, the snarling, vicious, big dogs tearing at each other. You know, there's no peace there. And he says, you know, I want you to go and talk to them. John's like, oh, you know, not so keen on dogs, especially snapping vicious snarling dogs and John and so God says oh there there is something else he says John says well what's that he says well to be able to communicate with these dogs you're going to have to be a dog so I'm going to turn you into a dog is that okay John John's like right okay okay well this is God asking yep sure yeah okay I can do that I can do that God says well there's something else uh, it's not, you can't just be any dog. I want you to send, down, send you down there as a chihuahua. <laughs> a chihuahua? John says, but they'll, they'll tear me to shreds. God says, yes, they will. John's like, oh. So, so you want me to go down there as a chihuahua, give, you this mess, give them this message of love, and they're going to tear me to shreds? And God says, yep. He's like, well, you know, for you, God, I can do that. Well, John, there is just 
one more thing. What's that? He says, when I bring you back to life, after you have been torn to shreds by these snarling, vicious dogs, you're going to have to stay a chihuahua for the rest of eternity. For us, as we look at becoming a chihuahua as so much less than who we are, perhaps will just give us an inkling of an idea of what Jesus gave up to be a man. Because he's still a man. He came in human flesh as a baby. He grew up as a man. He presented this message of love and got torn apart for it. He got raised to life again and went to sit at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And yet he's still there as a man. He confined himself into human flesh for eternity, for us. We don't think being humans are being, uh, is so bad, but think about it from God's perspective. Albert Barnes says it this way, The desire that honor and glory should be rendered to the Redeemer is how all the aspirations of true Christians appropriately close. Everything that we want to do for God, everything that, that, that he asks to, asks to do for him, who we are as people should be our final desires that we bring honor and glory to our Redeemer. There is no wish more deeply he carries on cherished in their hearts than this, that there is nothing that will enter more into their worship in heaven than to bring glory to our God. We have an opportunity to bring glory to God every day. We have an opportunity to, to not just celebrate the child that is born, but to really represent the son that has been given. We have an opportunity at Christmas time to not just focus on the myth and legend and the things that have been added to, but to make sure that Jesus, as the central character of the story, uh, like the way Simon Moitara says it in theology, who's the hero of the story? God is. In every situation, God is the hero of the story. And we can continue to make God the hero of Christmas. Putting Him, giving Him glory, not glorifying the things of this world, and not necessarily shutting ourselves off from culture and the things that are acceptable, but making sure that we represent, that we re-present Christ uh, in Christmas. To us, a child is born and to us, the son is given. The birth of a child heralded the giving of a son. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you that you didn't deny anything by giving up everything of yourself, pouring it all out and coming as a baby, helpless and weak. Lord, we understand that you are not helpless and weak now, that you are waiting for the right time to come back to this earth and, and, and regather a people to yourself. We know that you are going to set, set right every wrong, that you're going to wipe uh, tears from every eye. And yet we live in the tension that that's not right now. So Lord, I just pray that you would give us that calm assurance, that quiet confidence, that inner uh, delight in the fact that you are coming again. But even now, you're working in us. Lord, I pray that we would give you glory and honor at this time of year, as at all times of the year. 
But as people are open to hear the story of Christmas, as people are open to hearing about this tradition, Lord, I pray that we would be able to insert your name into conversations, that we would not be shying away from the fact that you deserve the glory and the honor and the praise because we want to give you all those things. We thank you that you give us this ability to partner in your great work and your great commission and do the things for you because we love you and want to see you lifted up. Amen.